Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Chilobi Colombo. My wife, Megan, and I and our kids go to uh, church here. Uh, we had an interesting night last night. Uh, praise God for my wife, man, because my daughter was in rare form last night. Um, she just didn't want to sleep. Um, and I went to bed late because uh, I made a series of bad decisions during the course of the week. So I kind of started preparing late for the sermon. Uh, and that translated into me going to sleep a little bit late. Uh, and my daughter didn't take any pity uh, on us at all. So I praise God uh, for my wife. Uh, I praise God for my daughter, too. <laughs> um, uh, but we, we continue these. Uh, we're, we're, actually, we're actually finalizing this series uh, this morning. We've been in a series called The Psalm and Psalmist. And we're going to uh, talk uh, on uh, Psalm chapter 139. So if you have Psalm chapter 139, please open. It's a long psalm. It's 24 verses. I'm going to save you uh, the pain of reading through all 24. So we're going to read the first two verses, and we're going to read the, the last two verses. So if you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Psalms 139, and let's read together. Verse 1 and 2. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, because you are with me, I will not fear. I, I thank you, God, that you love us with an everlasting love. I thank you, Father, that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And so I thank you, Father, that we're here this morning according to your purpose, according to your will. So speak to us, God, in a mighty, mighty way. I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After I graduated college, um, I lived uh, for a number of years in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I had some friends in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that I met in college. Uh, their name were Jim and Martha White, and they had kids, three kids that... Uh, my friend in college used to babysit, and I used to tag along <clears throat> and, and visit. Um, Jim and, 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 and Martha uh, have done well for themselves, uh, so they have a little bit of uh, disposable income. And uh, one of the things they like to do with their disposable income is they like to buy Porsches. <laughs> and Jim especially loves uh, the Tarja 911, so he's bought you know, every version of the Tarja. And, in, in fact, Jim loves Porsches so much uh, that every time he buys a new one or a new one comes out, he actually travels to Germany uh, to, the, uh, to the plant and he drives the Porsche. You're I guess if you have enough money, you're allowed to do that. I didn't know you could do that. But you can drive from the plant to the, to the dock and have that Porsche shipped to you. So he would always you know, be one of the first few people to receive a Porsche or a vehicle uh, when it came out. Uh, in 2002, Porsche came out with the first SUV, the Porsche Cayenne. I don't know a whole lot about vehicles, but I do know that it was a sweet-looking vehicle when I saw it. Um, Jim and Martha, I went over to their house. Uh, they lived not too far from where I lived in downtown Harrisburg, and I went over to their house to kind of check it out. Uh, they would allow me to uh, take their vehicles and kind of drive around, not too far, but kind of drive around a little bit, uh, just so I can kind of experience uh, a luxury ride. I had a Honda Civic hatchback at that point in time, so... <laughs> Which saved my life, by the way. But I had a, I had a, a, a vehicle at that point in time that, you know, a Porsche was luxury. But I didn't I know a whole lot about Porsches. 
Uh, but they, they did let me. In this, in this particular instance, it was a Friday afternoon. I went over uh, to their house, and the Porsche Cayenne had just come out. Uh, very few people, I think there were about 600 or so in the entire United States. Definitely nobody in Harrisburg uh, had a Porsche Cayenne. And I saw it, and, and Martha said, why don't you go ahead and take it for a spin? I'd finished working out. I left work a little bit early. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me go ahead and take it out for a spin. So I started driving. Man, it's a sweet ride. I've never driven something like this. And I decided, you know what? I have a little bit of time. Martha's not going to care. I'm going to go ahead and drive to my apartment. I got to pick up a couple of things. I'm actually going to crash at their house because I love crashing at their house because they had a lot of money. So there's a lot of things to do at their house. <laughs> so, so I was like, I'm going to go grab my stuff. I'm going to crash over at their house uh, tonight. And so I drive down to Harrisburg. Uh, I lived kind of downtown, close to kind of the town center. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows where Harrisburg uh, uh, is. Uh, it's the capital city of Pennsylvania. It's a city, but it's really a city in the eye of the beholder. There is a downtown that's maybe comprised of kind of that trendy area downtown. There's probably there's a quad of like four restaurants on a corner on Second Street. Um, I lived probably about a mile. Uh, if that, from kind of downtown. And so as I'm driving kind of down the hill, I realize, I look at my watch, I'm like, it's 5.30 on a Friday. And if it's 5.30 on a Friday, that means the happening spot right now is right on 2nd Street. And I look at my watch, I'm like, you know what, it's not going to hurt if I kind of drive by my apartment over here and kind of drive down to, to, to downtown, in the middle of downtown, and see if I can catch a couple red lights. Now, notice I said red lights, not green lights. Right? Because if you're riding clean in a Porsche Cayenne, you want to make sure you can pull up to a red light and people can kind of see you driving in a Porsche Cayenne. You don't want a bunch of green lights because then you just have to drive straight through. So you want to be able to kind of stop at a red light and look around and kind of have people kind of gawk at this vehicle that they haven't seen before. And so I'm driving downtown. I'm at the light there. And man, lo and behold, it's like the heavens opened up and there was a parking spot right in front of Stocks on 2nd the restaurant downtown and there are people outside eating and it's like a bunch of young professionals and I'm like well I can't I mean it would be a sin if I drove by an open parking spot in front of the most popular restaurant in downtown with all these people around so I pull up and I pull up to the uh to the parking spot I pull right into that parking spot I park my car now I remember I had um workout clothes which was perfect right because that's the look if you're loaded Right? It, it, you look like you don't really care what you're wearing because you have all this money. You're driving around in a poor, cool, cool Porsche. I'm like, all right. So everybody's dressed up. I step out of my little Porsche, make-believe, my Porsche, and I walk into Stocks on 2nd. Everybody's, you can tell people kind of look. I'm 23, 24 years old right now, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. And I walk into Stocks, and my friends are like, man, where did you get that? Now, I don't want to lie and say it's my car. And so I'm just like, oh, you know, it does what I do, man. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of those things. So... So, there was, you know, we were kind of talking, and I looked down at my watch after a certain period of time, and I see three missed calls. They're for Martha. Martha thought I was going to be gone for 20 minutes or so, and I've been gone for an hour and a half. So I panic, and I leave, like black Cinderella, I leave the restaurant, I run into the car, and I try, I get in there, and I try to start the Porsche. It's not my vehicle. I don't know anything about this vehicle. I'm pretending that it's my vehicle. I'm pretending that, no, I'm not the manufacturer. I'm not the owner of this vehicle. And so I'm sitting there panicked trying to start this vehicle. But I had not paid instruction. I had not paid attention to the instructions that Martha gave me when she said, if you turn off this vehicle, 
what do you need to do to start this video call? So I'm sitting it. Psalms 139 <laughs> is a psalm about the relationship between the greatest inventor, God, and his creation. I'm going to move this. This is going to fly away, and I'm not going to have any notes. Do you mind? Are you guys okay? Yeah, you like, you guys. I can do this all morning if you want me to. Psalms 139. It's a psalm about the relationship between the greatest maker, the greatest inventor, the greatest creator, and God, his creation. It is a psalm about God's perfect knowledge of his creation, mankind. The psalm is addressed to the chief musician for the purposes of being sung by God's people as a bold declaration of God's perfect knowledge of humanity. The psalm itself is divided into four verses or four stanzas. Uh, the first verse, God, the first stanza, God knows everything about mankind, verses 1 through 6. The second, God is everywhere, verses 7 through 12. The third, God can do anything, verses 13 through 18. And the fourth, God is ultimately good, verses 19 through 24. The Holy Spirit will prompt David to write this psalm so that people would know the truth about God. Because, and that's important because the wrong idea about God would result in the wrong idea about who we are. And the wrong idea about who we are would tragically lead to us making the wrong decisions about our lives. And the wrong decisions about our life will undoubtedly lead us down the wrong path and eventually the wrong destiny. David will start out the first stanza by proclaiming that God knows everything. In verse 1, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. The truth of the matter is there is no detail that escapes God, watching eye. He's never blindsided or caught flat-footed by our words or our deeds. God knows what we're going to do before we do it because God knows our heart. And not just our heart, but the secret places in our heart that we don't want anybody else to know. And because he knows our heart, God knows our true character and our motives. And so David begins the psalm by acknowledging this truth uh, because David realizes that what we do or what we say is merely a reflection of what's going on in our heart. Our, our actions are merely our thoughts with clothes on. Jesus would make a similar illustration in Matthew chapter 5 when he talks to, to the folks that are sitting on the hill in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Jesus would say this. In verse 21, he says, look, you've heard it said uh, that if you commit a murder, that you're in danger of being judgment. But I tell you this. If you have angry thoughts or if you're angry at somebody without cause, you have, in fact, committed murder. You are in danger of judgment. You've heard it said that if you commit adultery, you are in danger of judgment. But if I tell you this, if you look lustfully on somebody, you are in danger of judgment. Jesus is simply saying that the sin that we commit actually occurs in our heart. And by the time that we actually perform the deed or say the words, the damage has already been done. And that's why in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says that we need to keep our, we need to guard our hearts. We need to keep our hearts with all diligence, but out of it springs forth, the, springs forth the issues of life. And that's why David begins this psalm by laying his heart bare before God. The second stanza, David proclaims that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. And he leads by saying this in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. 
This is actually some pretty radical stuff that is coming out of David's mouth. It's radical because of the Jewish, the contemporary Jewish perception of who God is. Yes, God was all-knowing. Yes, God was all-powerful. But to the contemporary Jewish person, God was only was limited to time and space. You see, these were the people that took literally and understood the story of God coming down from heaven to look for Adam in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned. So these were the people that were operating under the assumption that you could hide from God. These were the people that were operating under the assumption when they heard the story of God calling Moses up to the mountaintop so that Moses could receive a word from God. He was localized to the mountaintop. These were the same people who celebrated in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Because in their understanding, God dwelt in between the cherubim and the Ark of the, uh, the, Ark of the Covenant. And so God was localized. So, so this word that's coming from David is radical. They've never heard of it. It's amazing before. Not only is God not limited to space, he is not limited to time. The same God that interacts with man is the same God that rules over eternity. And the same God that ushers us in in birth is the same God that carries us out in death. Not only does God know all things, but God sees all things because he is present everywhere we go. This should give us confidence, right? Because we know that in this journey called life, there's some, some of us who are where we want to be. But there's some of us who are not where we want to be because of unforeseen circumstances or the decisions that we've made. But the Bible tells us that God knows where we're at. And he's promised that he's going to see us through all of it. He is going to be true to his word. And not only is God true to his word by protecting us and being with us with what we're dealing with externally. David realizes that we have internal concerns and internal emotions that God is very much concerned about. In verses 11 and 12, David, or God shows David, that God understands the emotional darkness that overwhelms us sometimes. And God can step into our darkness and see in that darkness and shine his light, his love, and his, and, and his purpose to our darkness. God cares deeply about every season of our lives and every circumstance that you and I face. He's with us in good times. He's with us in bad times. He's with us when life throws us a party, and he's with us when life throws us a curveball. God is still on the throne in spite of everything that we do or say, in spite of everything that we experience, and his purposes are never derailed. This should be both comforting to us and convicting. Comforting to us because we know that God has promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us. But convicting to us because we know that if he never leaves us or forsakes us, he sees everything that we do. He hears everything that we say. And at some point in time, you and I are going to have to give an account for what we do, what we say, and what we think. Stanza three. David proclaims that God can do anything. He's omnipotent. David leads out with these verses. He says in verses 13 and 14, For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. David now moves from celebrating who God is to marveling at God's creation, marveling at, at, at God creating himself. Without a doubt, we know that the human body is the most studied and the most complex system known to man. What's even more amazing is that everything that comprises the human body, the raw materials, the basic chemicals in our bodies, they can be found in the ground. They can be found in the soil. 
And yet with all the marvels of modern science, with all the technology, nobody has able, been able to take these materials, these chemicals, and form tissues and cells and organs and assist them and form eternal life. And this is because there is only one person who can create from nothing to something ex nihilo, and that is God. God is the only person who can take nothing and make something out of it. God is the only person that can breathe into dirt and form a living, breathing human being. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.26 that you and I were created in God's image. So if there is a God in heaven, then you and I are the masterpiece of his workmanship. Our existence is not by mere consequence of some kind of biological or chemical reaction. Our existence is purposed by God. Despite what you and I may have heard, despite what's going on in our hearts right now, despite the accusations that come from the devil, God created us for a purpose. And God's plans and his purposes for our life will not be overshadowed, will not be overcome by anything or anyone on this side of heaven. Stanza four, God is ultimately good, David proclaims. And he starts off in verse 19 by saying, Oh, that you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. This is an interesting turn in, 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 in David. David has started off right now, up to this point, pouring out his heart, his heart to God. But what David is doing is he's building a case for a complaint he's about to lodge to God. Lord, I believe that you're all-knowing. Lord, I believe that you're all-present. Lord, I believe that you're all-powerful. But there is a reality that I'm wrestling with right now. If you're all these things that you say you are, why am I dealing with all of this mess? Lord, if you say, who you, if you say you are who you are, why is there trouble on my doorstep? If we're on the same side, God, why is there pain and suffering all around me? At some point, you and I, if, we're, if, if, we, if God gives us the grace to walk this walk long enough, we are going to be faced with those same questions. Why does it look like evil succeeds and righteousness falters? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God seem silent in the face of tragedy? Why does God seem silent in the face of my tragedy? Why, God, why has God not come through financially for me? Why has God not come through with a spouse why has God allowed tragedy in my life? Why has God allowed sickness and death in my life? One of the mistakes that, as believers that we make is we try to come up with answers for these questions. And the truth of the matter is that is way above our pay grade. I was reading the other day about uh, inventions and I, I came across uh, a gentleman by the name of, um, I would say, William Gaston. He was a, 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 a doctor at Yale University. He was a scientist. He was a PhD at Yale University. And his, his life mission uh, was to kind of eradicate hunger. And so he, he did a series of tests, and he came up um, with um, a chemical compound that he discovered could speed up the growth of uh, soybeans. He, he used that technology uh, to help folks in third world countries. He used that technology or, or that, 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 the, the science to help uh, farmers in rural America. Um, 
There were some warfare scientists, though, who discovered his technology and, and took that technology and, and formulated a compound known as Agent Orange. If you know what Agent Orange is, Agent Orange was used in the Vietnam War. And the devastation that Agent Orange caused, both uh, from an ecological standpoint uh, and from a human standpoint, was pretty, pretty tragic. Uh, Agent Orange was uh, responsible uh, for, for, this, for sickening uh, about 4 million people, some with uh, incurable conditions like cancer. The legacy of Agency Orange, uh, to this day, there's about a million or so people who are still suffering uh, from the hereditary effects or the physical effects from being born with people who were exposed to Agent Orange. See, what this doctor had meant for good, uh, the uh, sin interjected, and what he, what he meant for good and meant to sustain life, sin interjected and brought death. God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden for a purpose. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they sinned, they had no idea about the tragic effects that sin would cause. Their disobedience ushered in a great evil, an unspeakable evil. And all that, that ills us, that ails us, all the stuff that we suffer on this side of heaven, sickness and, and pain and, and, and sorrow, and all the stuff that we kind of deal with is a result of this condition of sin that was ushered in because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in a garden that God had created perfect. But I praise God that Jesus, that God didn't stop there, that he, he devised the plan. The Bible says from the foundations of the earth that, the, 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 that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was crucified. He devised a plan that would restore mankind to himself. And that was perfected on the cross when Jesus bled and died for your sin and my sin. The purpose being that God then could restore us by the sacrifice made by Jesus Christ to himself. And after being restored to himself, when we die or, the new, or, or this earth passes away, we will have the, uh, the wonderful opportunity to inherit a new heaven and a new earth where there's no sickness, there's no shame, there's no dying, there's no disease, there's no suffering. But Jesus Christ didn't only do that. Jesus Christ also has the ability to step into the circumstances in our life. The work that Jesus Christ did was not just for the future, but it is also for the present. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ can take the hurting, the good, and the bad, and he can work all things out together for good for those of us who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. David then seems to come full circle in the end. And once again, he, re he reasserts that really the true issue here that needs to be discussed is in his heart. Look at what verses 23 and 24 say. Verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This kind of summarizes the nature of the problems that we face, right? Some of the problems that we face, we're totally innocent of. We are simply bystanders who basically have no control of what's going on in our lives. But there's, there's some stuff that if you and I were to be honest, uh, we actually are kind of sharing the blame for because we've participated. And so we're paying or we're dealing with the consequences of that. The Bible tells us, though, in Romans 28, that God then can take those things, the good and, and, and the bad, and, and our responsibility is to present them to Jesus Christ and say, God, you take these. 
and you do a work in me, and you work all things out together for good and lead me in the way everlasting. So I'm sitting in the Porsche. The windows are up, and I'm panicked. It's not my Porsche. I'm too afraid to call the owner because I know I'm not supposed to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I have decided to take charge and control of where I want to be in that vehicle. And that has resulted in me sitting in front of a group of people and they're wondering, why is this guy pressing buttons in the heat of summer with the windows up? It just makes no sense. I'm sitting in a pretty Porsche, but I'm panicked. I thank God because I did pray to God. I said, God, never mind about why I'm here in the first place. Like my motivations behind being in the first place. I, I, I can't call Martha because I'm scared to death. And so I remembered, you know what? There's a manual in the glove compartment box. And so I reach into the glove compartment box and I pull out the manual. And in that manual, there are instructions. If you step on the brake and if you press the ignition, the car is going to start. The manufacturer of the car gave us a manual that he put in the car. That if we ever have an issue driving that vehicle, because we can't call Porsche in Germany, we can open this manual up and learn the purpose for everything that's in the vehicle. I thank God because the Bible says that we can approach the throne of God the creator with boldness that in spite of the turn and the direction that our lives have taken that we should not be afraid to call on the maker and see I don't understand this vehicle that I'm in God I know I shouldn't be in here but I'm looking pretty and I'm panicked and I need you God to give me instructions and God will either point you to his manual and say, listen, open your manual. And there are instructions here that will give you life and give you purpose. But I also thank God that God has the ability by the power of his Holy Spirit to step down from heaven and sit right in that car with us. And say, you just need to hit this button. And you need to move this lever in reverse and you need to drive away. And guess what? I ain't going nowhere. Because I have promised to be with you. I will never leave you. And, for, and oh, by the way, you just needed to look over. I was already sitting right there with you. My hope and my prayer is that we just don't, be, we just don't decide to sit in pretty portions and be panicked on the inside. But we heed the word of God and we reach out to the maker and say, God, help us. Help us to the, be the people that you have called us to be. Because as long as you and I are on this side of heaven, 
God has a plan and a purpose for our life. Do not listen to the lies of the devil. Because if God didn't have a purpose for you, you would not be here this morning. Oh God, may you be merciful that we be a people who look up to you, Father, for guidance and that we do not take control of our own lives because our lives are yours. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We honor you, God, because you indeed are our maker, our creator. And you know us, God, better than we know ourselves, Father. And so we humble ourselves before you this morning, God. And ask, God, by the power of your grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, that you conform us to be the people that you want us to be. We thank you for your word, God, because you say, God, you've perfected those that are being sanctified. I thank you for the work of the cross, God, where you perfected us in Jesus Christ. But, oh, God, may you sanctify us to be a people of purpose this morning. We ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, guys, we're going to pray. We have this great tradition here at Bayou City where we pray. I, I asked the prayer team to kind of come up, take your positions. If, if there's anything that God is stirring on your heart this morning related to the message, not related to the message, if you're dealing with any kind of struggles, if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with trying to figure out what, what, what does God have for my life, if, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I ask this morning that you don't be afraid to come down and meet the makers. The Bible tells us that God will speak to us and he'll minister us at our point of need. Amen.